Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman and Robin, Aquaman, Black Vulcan, Samurai, Apache Chief, El Dorado. Together they form the world's greatest force, dedicated to truth, peace and justice for all mankind. These are the, the Superman of Screen. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 138 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode, I'm going to be completing my coverage of the lost season of Super Friends, the fall 1983 season, and I'll be covering weeks 7 and 8. And after uh, this episode is complete, I will be moving on to the uh, legendary Superpower show, which is season 8 for 4 episodes, and then I will head into my coverage of Supergirl, but I will talk more about that when the proper time comes. Before I get into the business of uh, this week's episode, I have feedback to address. This feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen, episode 127, and Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Well, I must praise your endurance in covering some of these episodes. Overall, they don't make for the best viewing. The abbreviated length of the stories don't encourage the best writing, it seems, and I wonder that these would have held the interest of any but the youngest kids. I almost think the best parts of these latest episodes of The Man of Screen are the feedback segments at the beginning, because it reminds me of your Superman, the movie month. As for these Super Friends shorts, I don't have too much to say. Invasion of the Gleek certainly proves that the Silver Age DC adage, everything's better with monkeys, if it ever was true, certainly was no longer true by 1980. In your coverage of The Man in the Moon, you wondered how long in the Silver and Bronze Age Superman would survive inside the sun. In the Silver Age, Superman was so powerful that he used to plunge into the sun from time to time just to clean his costume. He once even blew out a star with his super breath, as if he were blowing out a birthday candle. In those days, I don't think there would have been any limit, other than boredom, on how long he can remain in the sun. In the Bronze Age, Superman had been reduced somewhat in power, but this seemed to fall by the wayside after a short time, so I don't think hanging out in the sun would have been too much of a problem for him. One of the main differences between the Silver and Bronze Ages wasn't so much its powers, but the kinds of stories the writers were telling, I think. In the Bronze Age, there were more realistic stories, whatever that means for Superman, less over-the-top than a lot of the Silver Age stories. During the John Byrne reboot, realism meant that Superman needed to bring an oxygen supply with him when he flew through the interplanetary space, but at the time of these cartoons, that was several years in the future. Live long and prosper. Well, as always, I uh, thank you, Dave, for writing in. Uh, yeah, the uh, the feedback section uh, being one of Dave's favorite parts because it reminded him of Superman the Movie Month. Episode one twenty seven probably had feedback on Superman the Movie Month, so that was probably probably was the most interesting point of those episodes. I mean, I really, I mean, the feedback sections of these uh, episodes when he's Dave is writing in on the shorts really aren't that long because well, there's not really a whole hell of a lot to say. And Dave is uh, praising my endurance and. In covering these episodes, and I thank you, the listener, for your endurance getting through this stretch of episodes. We are nearing the end of Super Friends coverage. There are only two more seasons of Super Friends after this, so that's going to be eight total episodes of Super Friends coverage. Four for season eight and four for season nine, sandwiching a Supergirl episode, and then at the back end, my coverage of Superman 4. So, as far as the Super Friends goes, I am hoping that uh, the legendary Superpower show and the Galactic Guardians provide better episodes. I will tell you right now that I am definitely looking forward to the change of format with next season. But before I can talk about next season, I gotta finish this season. So, oh, but even before that, I have a Facebook comment on this episode from uh, my friend Aaron Henley, the host of uh, Tangents Abound and... Aaron's working on some other project right now that I, I that I don't really know a lot about. I know I recorded some lines uh, for something to, to do with this podcast uh, for him, but that may be out by the time this episode drops. I don't know, but it, whatever Aaron's doing, I encourage you to check it out. But Aaron asked if uh, if Circus of Horrors was the inspiration for Jail Ape, 
or did the Justice League just decide to explore furry? To be honest, Aaron, I do not know. And that's basically that. So right now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with week seven of Super Friends The Lost Season. Hang around, folks. My name is Bob Fisher, and I'm the host of the Superman Forever Radio Podcast. On the Superman Forever Radio Podcast, I talk about Superman from 1938 to present day. And in 2018, we celebrate the 80th anniversary of the Man of Steel's first appearance in Action Comics with a full year of new episodes, more episodes, plus new features like The Adventures of Superman When He Was a Boy. Superboy is coming to the Superman Forever radio podcast. Also, the Superman Forever Roundtable Discussion Group, where I gather together some of the best Superman podcasters around, and we talk Superman. So if you want to know why I've been a Superman fan for over 60 years, point your favorite podcatcher to the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. All right, welcome back, folks. All of the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of October 22nd, 1983. And we're going to start with Attack of the Cat. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. An accidental mixture of cat scratch and a petri dish culture transforms a scientist into a cat-like person. She scratches her assistant, changing him into a cat man. Holy tornadoes, Batman! Why would anyone want to destroy the research laboratory? Could be political protesters. I doubt it. It looks more like a wild animal did this. Whatever did do it, amigo, was horrible enough to turn these gentle kittens into frightened animals. Professor Stevens and Dr. Kennedy have been missing for hours. If you ask me, I'd say it's definitely foul play. Judging by the clues, it looks more like cat's play. When the dynamic duo and El Dorado try to stop them, Robin gets turned into a Catman. Batman creates the antidote. With any luck, this should turn Robin and the others back to normal. Now all we have to do is find them. And cures them before there is more trouble. Thank you, super friends. If it weren't for you, our research would have turned into a disaster. I just hope you've learned to be more careful with your experiments. Super friends, help! Be careful! He's a man-eater! Leo? (laughs) He's no man-eater. But he loves a good steak. We're not off to a flying start with this episode. I'll just say that right off the bat. And to be quite frank, the six stories I'm going to cover in this episode do not improve from here. This is a weak way to end the 1983 season, so you're just going to have to stick with me so we can get through this and move on to better things in upcoming episodes. When you do an index show like this, they can't all be good. So we start out at a laboratory, and we have uh, some scientists working on trying to improve human vision by cracking the secret of cat's night vision. Okay, I guess that's noble. However, this one cat is not having it and scratches one of the scientists, and he got a sample of... uh, 
whatever chemical they're using all over her and it mutated her into a cat. And then she scratches the other professor and we've got a bad case of cat scratch fever. Probably the worst case considering these two scientists have now morphed into cats. Interestingly enough, there's no trouble alert segment. Like maybe this episode was running long and they had to cut out the uh, obligatory scene where the trouble alert tells Batman and Robin and Eldorado what's going on. So uh, this security guard uh, blames uh, animal rights activists, but Batman, who is on the scene, suspects a wild animal and uh, El Dorado points out how scared the cats in the cages are. They're shaking like a leaf, showing uh, all kinds of fear. The security still suspects some kind of crime, but Batman deduces from looking at the sample the, woman, the female scientist dropped that cats are at large. So here we go. Batman and Robin, uh, they walk around the zoo here and they find the cat people. And their MO is basically to turn everyone into cats. Imagine the Borg from Star Trek The Next Generation, you know. You will be assimilated and all that. Well, these cat people are trying to assimilate it whoever they can find, and turn them into cats. And all it takes is one scratch, so... Don't let them touch you! Batman is worried about being uh, humane and deploys the bat net, but nope, the cats get out of that quite e quite easily, and the heroes are being shown quite inept as they uh, fight the cat people, and uh, Robin gets himself scratched and converted into a cat. In the absence of the Wonder Twins, Robin has to play the incompetent. Of course, Batman has to comment that Robin has been turned into a cat, although we've watched it happen right in front of us. You know, yes... TVs back then were a little smaller, and probably the picture may have been a little fuzzy. Definitely not as uh, crystal clear as it is now, but we would have noticed that Robin was turned into a cat. But thank you, Batman, for informing us of what's going on. Then Eldorado does the same thing, uh, telling us that Batman needs help, obviously, as he's struggling with a cat. So now we take another trip to the Batcave. We were make a couple trips to the Batcave in this season, and it looks a little bit bigger than what we saw before, but, you know, whatever. You can't really expect animation to be consistent from episode to episode, unless it's a... Uh, Set they use all the time. So, without any explanation of how he figured this out, Batman <laughs> develops an antidote, and now they have to find Robin and the cat people. I am starting to wonder if this episode ran long and they had to cut some stuff out to get this episode down to the seven minutes that's required because no trouble alert, and usually there's some kind of dialogue of Batman figuring out what's going on. So, this episode just seems to skip those things. So, uh, meanwhile, the uh, cat people are at the zoo, and uh, they're letting out the cats. There is a lion in a tree, and uh, the zookeeper runs into a phone booth and calls Super Friends. It's just funny as the lion just pins him in the cage, and he doesn't call his boss, he doesn't call anyone else, directly to the Hall of Justice, as if they're on speed dial. So, El Dorado traps a panther with his invisibility trick, and... Of course, a cheetah steals Batman's antidote, and he narrates his own change into a cat after he's been scratched. However, El Dorado grabs the antidote and sprays the cat people, and they're changed right back into humans. So Batman's uh, trick seems to have worked, and I don't think Batman even moved, as he was in the same position as he was when he was turned into a cat. He must have just been sitting there with his hand over his mask, uh, waiting for the antidote. So... They turn back into people and everything is okay. Except for the guy who's uh, trapped by the lion in the phone booth. Uh, all it takes uh, to free him is a good steak. And to be honest, that lion may have had a better dinner than I did tonight. So, that episode was pretty painful. Which is kind of a downer because there had been an uptick in how excited I'd been for the episodes this season. But, like I said before, after what's come before in the uh, previous three episodes I covered this season, this was kind of a letdown. I have to admit that. <laughs> Alright, let's move on to One Small Step for Superman. And our synopsis is as follows. When a boy suffers a nasty fall, the Wonder Twins get him to the hospital. How are you feeling, Grant? Fine! Hey, where's Moosey? I'm afraid he's... run away, son. On the other hand, aside from a few scratches, you're in perfect health. I... I can't walk! I thought there was only a few minor cuts. I can't explain it. 
The x-rays showed nothing. Unfortunately, the boy learns that his dog has run away and he can't walk, although x-rays show his legs to be all right. Even Batman's computer says the boy is fine, but he refuses to try to walk. Any moment now, we'll have a complete computer scan of your body, Grant. If the bat computer can't detect the problem, nothing will. It's no use, Batman. I'll never walk again. I know it. Circulatory and skeletal scans complete. No signs of physical damage. The bat computer never lies, Grant. There's nothing physically wrong with you. Yeah? Tell it to my legs. You can't just give up, Grant. That's right. There's always hope, no matter what the odds. You don't have to try to make me feel better. I get the picture. Grant, watch out for that ramp. Shot Batman! Thanks for nothing. I don't need your help. I've got a friend who might be able to help you. Superman joins the effort, but a robot attacks the Hall of Justice and fires a piece of kryptonite at Superman, weakening him. The boy is forced to try to walk in order to get rid of the kryptonite, and Superman stops the robot. Thanks again, Grant, for saving my life. We're right all along, Super Friends. My problem wasn't in my legs, it was in my mind. I guess I figured if I couldn't walk with Moosey anymore, then I just wouldn't walk. Now you know just how powerful your decisions are. I sure do. So long, super friends. Bye. Take care, Grant. Yes, sir. It's amazing just how powerful the mind really is. A little green paint, an old robot, and a young boy walks again. All right, so this episode actually has an interesting premise with a child who gets injured and his injuries uh, kind of seem a lot worse depending on his, let's call it mental state, I guess we can call it. Just to kind of go through things a little bit, we start off in the mountains outside of Metropolis and a boy and his dog are playing fetch until he accidentally hits a bear with a stick. And they're scared and doing the understandable thing and running, but the bear continues to close in on them and... These are real dangers in the woods, and uh, because he's running from the bear, I mean, understandably frightened, he takes a pretty bad fall. Now, the kid waved his arms, and actually, the uh, U.S. Park Service, I did a little bit, see, I did a little research, <laughs> actually does recommend waving your arms slowly so the bear knows you're human and uh, not threatening. I guess a slow wave uh, is seen non-threatening by a bear. I, I mean, the Park Service says that, so I'm guessing uh, that's true. Apparently, one of the things you're recommended to do if... Uh, a grizzly bear attacks is to lie on your stomach and play dead. If uh, that doesn't work, uh, hit it in the face, and I guess that will make it go away. Probably stun it and uh, make it realize that whatever it's doing is not worth its effort. But any bear encounter can turn deadly, so it's best to avoid them and hope they don't notice you. I mean, I saw a bear on my deck once. I was just kind of sitting at my kitchen table, and uh, the, the deck is to my left. And I heard a thump, and there was a bear walking around, and I think it was playing with a bird feeder, as I recall, hanging over the side of the deck into the yard below. But after a few minutes, he uh, went somewhere else. I guess he was unsatisfied with what we had on our deck. You know, bears will attack your garbage. And I have heard some stories. Uh, I work in a newspaper that covers northern New Jersey, kind of a pretty big bear country. And uh, they will go into homes and uh, raid the pantry. I remember hearing one story about a woman who uh, found a bear in her kitchen caused thousands of dollars worth of damage. They got the bear out, but nobody was hurt. But it did a ton of damage to the home. So apparently the uh, twins are in the same area looking for a picnic spot when they find the injured boy. And I guess the super friends call the air rescue when the boy is taken to the hospital and he can't walk after he finds out his dog Lucy is missing. And I'm going to put this out there right now. This is the last time Lucy is mentioned until the end. I was very surprised that the dog was not found. I mean, this is a kid's cartoon, you know. Many a kid loves dogs. I would imagine to a kid, uh, the missing dog uh, 
could probably be kind of upsetting. It kind of depends on the kid, but I know if my daughter uh, heard of an episode of The Missing Dog, she'd probably be pretty upset. But anyway, everyone is baffled, and the back computer can't figure it out either. And uh, my early uh, musing figured it might have been something to do with the dog being missing. And I honestly thought this episode would end with them finding the dog, and spoiler, it does not. So, uh, the boy, whose name is Grant, I didn't realize what his name was until later in the episode, so I kept writing the boy in my notes. Well, anyway, um, he's upset and understandably so, but and now he's becoming very bitter, which is not a good attitude when kind of facing a uh, what could possibly be a debilitating condition. And he's frustrated, and rightly so. It's very difficult when you can't do something and no one can figure out what's wrong. I mean, there's someone in my life right now who's uh, going through some medical conditions, uh, that she doesn't really know what the problem is or what the origin of said problems were, and uh, she's understandably frustrated. And not getting answers is even more frustrating, and, you know, hopefully when she gets some answers, she'll start to feel better. And obviously get some treatment as well. So, Superman can't find anything wrong either, and he thinks flying around Metropolis is going to make him feel better. And, uh, you know, maybe it would for a minute, but that's kind of, that's not Superman's game here. As we're going to see a giant robot attacking the Hall of Justice. And uh, the twins are getting in on the action here. If, if you've never seen a backpedaling giraffe the animation of that happening uh jana turned into a giraffe you see that's kind of funny but you know as usual the twins were ineffective and uh the robot fired uh kryptonite at superman and he's down for the count and it's up to grant to get rid of the kryptonite and he crawls over and he stands up to throw the kryptonite away so he rose to the occasion and he is shut down due to losing the dog but when it counted he overcame his disability which this episode is telling us was all in grant's head and he put pushed that down and rose to the occasion so that's Good to see, and uh, there's this ending where we find out that the whole robot thing was a ruse, and I really don't know how I feel about that. It did grant some good to overcome his mental block against walking, so I guess so. I guess it's worth it. I don't know, I just would have liked to see the Super Friends come up with something better in that situation. I mean, what if it didn't work? What then? I can only imagine Grant would have become even more bitter. So Superman gambled, fortunately he won. And uh, this episode had a nice sentiment, but... I do think it does a disservice to people who don't have any obvious injuries but are still immobilized. I mean, not everything has to do with your bones. Nerve damage can render you wheelchair-bound very quickly as well. I mean, your bones could be fine, but if your muscles can't hold you up, you're not standing or walking. So the uh, Super Friends analysis is very simplistic, and uh, maybe that's good enough for a kid, but it doesn't really uh, pass muster with me. So that's enough of that. Let's move on to Video Victim, and our synopsis is as follows. Bizarro sent a strange video game to the Hall of Justice and set a deadly trap for Superman, Wonder Woman, and Samurai. Warning, warning, Justice League satellite scanners indicate unknown energy beam approaching Hall of Justice. Where is it coming from? Sensors show source as Bizarro World. Sounds like Bizarro must be up to another one of his crazy schemes. It appears to be an ordinary video game. Nothing Bizarro does is ordinary. Careful, it could be a trap. It is a trap for Super Friends. Superman! <laughs> Not worry, Wonder Woman. You keep him company. I'm dissolving! Got to act fast. You're too late, Samurai. Bizarro, let us out. Similar to Pac-Man, Superman and Wonder Woman get eaten, but but Samurai finds a way to reverse the game and free the others, trapping Bizarro in the game instead. Nice work, Samurai. I never knew you were so skilled in electronics. A good Samurai not only knows the ancient customs of Japan, he knows the modern customs as well. (laughs) 
Super friends, help Bizarro. <laughs> Me trapped in game. <gasps> we'll let you out, Bizarro, as soon as we take your game back to Bizarro World. In the meantime, anyone got a quarter? This episode is pretty fun for uh, those of us who uh, remember Pac-Man and uh, old video games of the early 80s or even to the mid-80s. Video games didn't really change a lot during uh, the 80s. It was the 90s when we start seeing some uh, rapid improvement. But, you know, I remember as a kid, uh, especially when I lived in Brooklyn as a young kid, uh, probably at seven or eight, when uh, after school on Tuesdays, I'd, my mother had me in a youth bowling league. And uh, one of the big things about after we were done bowling was, you know, what well, we got to go uh, play video games for a little while. Pumping out, pumping quarters uh, just for uh, one credit. I'm not sure what one credit in an arcade-style video game goes for now, but I'm sure it's more than a quarter. I mean, so this episode starts off with uh, a cube-shaped planet, so so that means Bizarro World. And uh, there's a newspaper vendor here that is Bizarro 52, which is amusing, not for anything back then, but in the context of now, because 52. D2 has been all over DC Comics in the past 10 or so years, pretty much starting through uh, the 52 miniseries that came out after Infinite Crisis, and uh, there was the new 52 about eight years ago, and the Flash TV show never misses an opportunity to drop a 52 reference, so it's over there a lot. So Bizarro is working on a video game to trap the Super Friends, and remember how I said last week that it appears as though they're going to go with red and yellow for the S on Superman's cape? Well, not in this particular story, as during the trouble alert scene, Superman's cape has an all-yellow S. So we're getting a trouble alert about an energy beam coming to the Hall of Justice, and here is a video game console. You know, an upright video game like you'd see in any arcade. You'll see them now, and but really a lot back then. So the game shows up, and Superman is trapped in the game, along with Wonder Woman. So Bizarro shows up, and uh, he's got an interesting color scheme. His S is backwards like it normally is. It seems more like uh, what we know as the Earth-2 Superman S, with kind of the... Uh, longer uh, snake in the top corner, you know, kind of the way Henry Cavill's Superman S was from the recent movies. However, instead of like a purplish color for the S, the S is yellow and the inside is red. Usually it's not reversed like that, and it just kind of looks weird. You know, a backwards S shield looks weird on its own. Seeing the colors reverse in similar fashion is very weird too. So now the Super Friends are beamed into a video game, and Bizarro is controlling something. I'm guessing the meteors that are attacking them, and probably the uh, starship as well. And I guess the object of the game is for him to shoot down the Super Friends. So he shoots down Wonder Woman and uh, Superman. Here we go, an entire episode of Bizarro playing a video game. So their one chance is Samurai, and goodness gracious, he's a great ball of fire. So Superman uh, showed up to help, and I'm not sure what he accomplished other than scaring Samurai and stopping the ship's photon torpedo. I'm not sure they said it was a photon torpedo, but that's what it sounded like to me. So now, Bizarro's next game puts them in a maze, and I am glad we have Superman to tell us they're in another game, because we wouldn't have noticed the difference. And they're being chased by a chomping yellow ball, kind of like 3D Pac-Man. And then Pac-Man turns into Kryptonite and swallows Superman like he's one of the Pac-Man ghosts. And then Pac-Man got Wonder Woman as well. So now it's up to Samurai, and talk about putting the game in the hands of your D-lister. So Samurai kind of goes into the computer and uh, demands that it play a different game, and he basically gets Bizarro sucked into the game with them, and that lets the Super Friends out. Yeah, very uh, simplistic episode. It's kind of interesting that uh, the Japanese character solves the video game problem. I wonder if that if that's a nod to the fact that just about all video games come from Japan, especially back then. As for the ending, Wonder Woman asks if anyone has a quarter to play the Bizarro game. Like I said before, remember when all those games cost a quarter? Just another lackluster effort, and uh, I really have nothing else to say. So, let's take a quick break, play another promo, and then I'll come back and finish off the lost season. Hang around, folks. Good afternoon, Mr. President. Sorry I've been away so long. 
I won't let you down again. It's finally here. Coming to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. General? Would you care to step outside? It's Superman 2 Movie Minute. Chris Franklin and Rob Kelly are back to discuss 1980's Superman 2, five minutes at a time. Superman faces his toughest challenge when he squares off against Lex Luthor and three villains from the planet Krypton. Superman 2 Movie Minute, proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Man, this is going to be good. All right, welcome back, folks. All the episodes in this segment had original broadcast date of October 29th, 1983. And we're going to start with Playground of Doom. And all of our synopses are brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Three giant children play around with the Bat Rocket in space and then go to Earth to start trouble. Sensors show alien craft dead ahead, Batman. Should be making visual contact any... Great Gotham, I've never seen anything like it. Look, a tiny spaceship. Should we zap it? Yeah, let's zap them! Nah, that's no fun. We did that with the last ships we saw. I know. Let's go out and play with them. I just hope whoever's in there is friendly. Hailing frequency ready, Batman. Wait, someone's coming out. Holy space juveniles, they're children. <laughs> Look! They're tiny. I wonder where they come from. Orlo, catch. They must think we're some sort of plaything. <laughs> Fortunately, Superman and the dynamic duo summon the kids' parents, and the kids are grounded back to their home planet. We'll give you just one more chance to clean up the mess you've made and leave us in peace. Ha, you'll give us a chance? We'll give you a chance to hide before we come and get you. Don't say we didn't warn you. Okay, they're all yours. Never play outside the galactic boundary? Yes, but, uh... Zenny, you're the oldest. You should have known better. Now apologize to the super friends and clean up this mess. We're sorry. Try to forgive them, super friends. I promise you, I will teach them greater responsibility. I'll feel a lot better when those kids have outgrown their toys. I know what you mean, Superman, but look at the bright side. At least they didn't leave muddy footprints all over the city. Yeah, that uh, synopsis kind of light the world on fire for you. So, we're in space and the Justice League satellite uh, picks up something and uh, Batman and Robin investigate and leave Superman unmonitored. Really? Batman and Robin are going to go into space and Superman is not? What's wrong with that? I guess it's because Batman and Robin have the Bat Rocket and Superman does not. I guess we need to sell more toys this way. And they encounter the ship that looks like some kind of a duck up up in space, and it looks like it's being run by a bunch of alien toddlers, or maybe uh, young children. But it's hard to get scale of the kids when they're on the ship because everything on the ship is built for them. But they point out that the bat rocket is tiny. But you really get a good sense of scale when you see them up against the bat rocket. They're huge. One of their chins takes up the size of the entire uh, bubble then over the cockpit. And they literally throw the ship away as if it's a toy. And uh, Batman and Robin are awful calm about the fact that they're on a collision course with Earth. And uh, meanwhile, Superman is still uh, picking his ears over at the uh, Hall of Justice. And he sees the Bat Rocket crashing. And he catches the rocket and sets it down on the ground. 
Easy peasy. So here comes the ship and it lands in the middle of this park. The trees barely go up to the top of the walkway. And you can see how tall they are just when compared to the city. These kids are bigger or taller than buildings. And they're handling buses the way a kid would handle matchbox cars. You know, they're taking the cars and they're banging them together. I probably played like this as a kid. I remember mostly as a kid when I played with my cars, I used, uh, there was like two sections of the coffee table. Like two squares that had glass, uh, had glass there. Then around it, and I guess it was some kind of imitation wood paneling. And I'd kind of run the cars along that like as if it were a road. I don't recall banging cars and buses together quite like these kids do. That's what my toddler does when she's not stacking things. So maybe I played like this when I was a kid. Holding these doll, these people like they're little doll figures is creeping. And then one of them is sitting on a building, you know, kind of climbs it like King Kong. And then just kind of sits on the roof, dangling its feet over the edge. And uh, seeing that the from the Hall of Justice that the kids have found Metropolis gives Batman a chance to recite this week's episode title. It looks like your alien space children have found Metropolis. And they're treating it as if it were a playground. We'd better get out of here before it becomes a playground of doom. And of course, we get more Batman and Robin chasing these kids around with no Superman in sight. And honestly, this episode is kind of dumb. And as I was watching it, I had a lot of trouble just getting through it. And of course, uh, one of the kids uh, shoots a kryptonite marble at Superman when he joins uh, the fray. Now... And Batman is kind of getting caught up in a game of jacks. Uh, the kids are bouncing the marble on the jacks, and uh, Batman is trying to get out of the way. But when he escapes, he has an idea. And the Bat rocket launches into space, and it comes back pretty quickly. And Batman starts lecturing these giant kids like he's their parent. And then another big spaceship shows up, and uh, we get giant parents yelling at their unruly children. So their punishment is to clean up the mess and go home. They're being punished for wandering outside the galactic boundary, which to me is a little bit further than uh, going down the street. So uh, maybe... Uh, Maybe they'll have to do a few extra chores for the week or something. I don't know. But looking back, that episode may have been the longest seven minutes of my life. Not saying something. With some of the other episodes I've covered. So let's move on to Space Racers and our synopsis. The Wonder Twins are on Space Patrol when they meet up with two Space Racers. Those weren't comets. They're spaceships. Not quite pointy ears. They're space gods. And we're the Space Racers, fastest rocket jockeys this side of Pluto. Yeah, we were light dragon when you slowpokes wandered into our space. Your space? This is a public sector protected by the Justice League Interplanetary Federation. That's right, and we're the Space Patrol. The speed limit's 55,000 miles per hour in this sector. I'm afraid I'm going to have to write you a ticket. Oops, it must have ripped. Come on, Wonder Brother. Let's teach these smart Alex to respect the law. When they try to give the racers a speeding ticket, they beam out and take Jaina with them. Wonder Woman and the Flash go to Saturn to stop the racers from hitting a space mining station. And eventually the racers learn to obey the laws. We're sorry, super friends. Next time we visit your solar system, we'll obey the laws. I'm glad you see it our way now. Even I run within the speed limit. Instead of taking your rocket licenses away, we're going to give you four weekends of community service. Picking up orbiting space junk. And speaking of junk, we can start by getting rid of this piece. Now that's what I call a star-spangled bleak. Okay, well this is the typical Wonder Twins type episode, which, uh, like I've mentioned before, they're basically morality plays a la... The middle episode during, uh, I want to say, the all-new Super Friends Hour. So this episode introduces a few new things. Apparently, the uh, Justice League has a patrol craft for the Wonder Twins to uh, patrol the solar system. What exactly they're looking for out in the solar system, I'll never know. And apparently, they don't find a whole lot because Jaina points out how boring things are going to be. Until they encounter some spheres that are just kind of 
flying back and forth in uh in space around them. They appear to be spheres to us, and whatever this is, because we don't know what it is right off the bat, it just sends the ship for loops, and they're basically out of control. So, as Zan says, it's their sworn duty to check it out, and then after another collision, he wants to leave. That didn't take long for Zan to have a change of heart. And, uh... This is when they encounter the Space Racer, the fastest jockeys on this side of Pluto. Who knew that there was anything on this side of Pluto? And I don't even know what side of Pluto they're on. And Jaina mentioned some kind of Justice League Space Federation, and this is the first time we're hearing about that. I don't know what that is, and who enforces this, and the twins are trying to give these punks a ticket, and they're not impressed, they just kind of tear it up. So, to uh, presumably show the Space Raiders who was boss and teach them a lesson, is Jaina becomes a squid, and Xan an ice anchor, and the racers disappear. They kind of just beam out of the ship. They beamed in, they beam right out. And uh, for somehow, Jaina, probably because she's got one of the uh, space racers caught up in her squid tentacles, she gets caught up into the uh, dematerialization, and uh, she appears on one of the ships. So at the Hall of Justice, uh, Flash and Wonder Woman detect something breaking the light speed limit near Saturn. Now there's a a speed limit of light speed. Who enforces these things? And uh, just for the record, they're, they're racing around the rings of Saturn at five times the speed of light, so... Wonder Woman and uh, Flash are going to have to do some very impressive ticket writing once they're out there. And the racers on the ring try to encounter this mining ship, but unfortunately, uh, they they do attempt not to hit it. They don't just kind of crash into it indiscriminately. But it kind of sends them out of control, and uh, now Wonder Woman is out there in her invisible jet, and again, and, and Wonder Woman is somehow lassoing two space racers in a zero-gravity environment. I don't know how you can lasso somebody in a zero-gravity environment. How does she throw her lasso? I'm also not sure how the Flash can run through space or banter in a vacuum without a helmet, but that's clearly neither here nor there. And uh, Jaina transports back to the Justice League ship, and they need to save the racers because they're stuck. So Jaina becomes an Exorian Hawk, and Zan becomes an Ice Hook, and they go and uh, grab the skiff. So another bad episode, other than the fact that we're teaching the kids that obeying the speed limit is a good thing, but this episode is just weird. It introduces concepts that don't need to be introduced, really. The Super Friends are space cops now and apparently they're judge and jury as well as in the ending a wonder woman sentences them to community service i don't know i really don't know what else to say about this episode it's just all over the place so moving on and we're gonna finish off this season with the recruiter this episode is actually better than the other five that i've covered but that's not really saying a whole lot it's a very low bar to clear so as for our synopsis well, Superman and Wonder Woman save a space station hotel from a monster, but are kidnapped and taken to a stadium to play baseball, kind of, like, which is kind of like football. <laughs> Those two don't look very strong to me. Where are we being taken? To the stadium. What stadium? For what purpose? We've been recruited to play baseball. What on earth is baseball? <laughs> You'll find out. The heroes team up with other aliens in the game to stop the recruiter's plan to force aliens to play their sports. Play the only games you'll be playing for a while will be in the exercise yard at Galactic Prison. Thank you for helping to free us, super friends. And thank you. We couldn't have done it without your help. With a little teamwork, even a game like Spaceball can be turned into a Super Bowl. Maybe if these aliens paid better, they wouldn't have to enslave aliens to play their sports you know just saying so we've got our alien who is uh flying through space with his ship he is not impressed with the galaxy he's flying through i guess he's flying through our galaxy right now and he's got a bunch of uh, other aliens in cages obviously he is the uh, recruiter as the episode title indicates but he seems to be much more of a slaver than anything else and so as he's flying away this scene switches to 
a giant space cockroach eating a space station. Just the image of a giant space cockroach eating a space station kind of makes this episode worth it. Not a whole lot else, but that does. So again, Wonder Woman is lassoing in zero gravity, but this time she has a space helmet on. I don't think she had a space helmet on in the, the Space Racers episode. I could go back and check, but I just don't feel like doing so. So then Superman shows up and he wraps the monster up in its own whiskers and that kind of takes care of that. I guess they send the uh, space cockroach on its way. And now that the uh, super friends have abducted the space hotel, Wonder Woman is abducted by the recruiter. She's just kind of enveloped in a red beam of light, and she's beamed aboard. So Superman is going to attempt to rescue her, and he uh, he threatens to uh, destroy the ship. He kind of shakes it to get the recruiter's attention, and then uh, talks tough from outside. I'll give you ten seconds to release her, or they'll be picking up the pieces of this ship in every corner of the galaxy. This one's stronger than all the others combined. Computer analysis indicates alien beings on planet Krypton. Kryptonite stun ray will immobilize. One kryptonite stun blast coming up. Wait, Scott, I can't move. And uh, the recruiter is marveling at Superman, so he scans him. And the computer realizes that Superman is not only a Kryptonian, but that he's vulnerable to kryptonite. So that makes the scanner on the recruiter's ship at least as smart as the ultimate computer from Superman 3. So now Superman ends up captured as well, and uh, Superman is uh, enveloped in kryptonite kind of the whole time he's on the recruiter's ship. Wonder Woman is in the red beam, which I'm not sure what that's doing to her. And Superman is enveloped in green, which is not killing him. Apparently it's not enough green kryptonite to kill him, just enough to keep him immobilized. So meanwhile, one of the other captives comments that Superman and Wonder Woman don't look so strong, and uh, this is where we get the uh, lowdown that Superman and Wonder Woman, along with these captive aliens, are being recruited to play spaceball. This is kind of a riff on... The, the Roman slaves who were forced to compete in the gladiator pits in the Colosseum. It's kind of like that. They're captured and enslaved and they're forced to uh, participate in the game. I'm not sure why uh, this other alien is taunting them. He is as much a slave as the rest. But being that we have Superman and Wonder Woman here, you, we know as the viewers, but the characters don't know, is that, well... Once this is over, not a, no one's going to be a slave anymore. So apparently the uh, team owner or coach seems to have a great deal at stake in this game. And uh, apparently the players have a stake too. Uh, you know, much like in the Roman uh, Colosseums, um, when the loser dies, well, the losers here get vaporized. So you have a pretty uh, strong motivation for playing well. If losing means dying, you're, you have an extra incentive to play better. I wonder if... Uh, the Mets can employ this strategy. Maybe if we start shooting relief pitchers, they'll start p- pitching better. But basically what they're playing, like the synopsis said, what they're playing is football, basically. I mean, not com- exactly football as we know it, but the basics are there. You can see, you know, they go back to pass like a quarterback, except there seems to be no, it's kind of more of a free-for-all than regular football is. And Superman loses the ball to another as he's marveling at his strength. And I really don't have a lot to say about this. I mean, the animation shows that at one point, Superman and Wonder Woman's team, which is the Milky Way Monsters, falls behind 13 nothing. And then the game gets tied at 13, and uh, Superman basically huddles with both teams, and, and he has a way for everyone to win so that no one gets vaporized, which is a very Superman thing to do. I was kind of waiting for Superman to explain his plan, but again, we skipped right to uh, Superman showing it. He calls a play called the Justice League Rollout, which I don't know what that is, but basically Superman starts a mutiny, and now there's a big fight. And uh, the owner of the, I don't know if this person is the owner of the Milky Way Monsters, the coach, or some kind of a emperor or something, I don't know, but he's gonna, his answer, is, or her answer, I don't remember which gender this voice was, is going to vaporize everybody. So Superman defeats the bad guys, and uh, the owner sends us security forces after them, Superman kind of, and Wonder Woman and the players just kind of defeat them, and uh, when everything is all said and done, they're all tied up, 
and Superman defeats the bad guys, and we end our episode with a super lecture complete with finger wagging. So they're gonna go to prison and the slaves are freed, and Superman points out that we're all shown the virtue of teamwork. Now Superman says with teamwork, any game can be a Super Bowl, which is not a term you can use uh kind of at will. The word Super Bowl is a trademark of the National Football League, and in this day and age, the NFL's lawyers would descend upon the show with holy vengeance for a crack like that. So like I said, this episode was better than the others, but that's not an exceptionally high bar to clear. I am glad to be done with this week's episodes. Next time, our new era of Super Friends will begin with a new format and a new name as we begin Season 8 of Super Friends, the legendary superpowers show. In the meantime, if you want to send the feedback, it's always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. Also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Till next time, folks. We're all on the same team. Good night. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.